So as adults, if we can look at how we show up, track the the psychoneurobiological network, deconstruct and reconstruct them, which is a mental skill, and demonstrate that to ourselves and to our kids, and then teach our kids to do that, we're then managing our mental health, then we're changing society, literally. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the Ancient Health Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. We have a repeat guest with us because she's so amazing. Her work is incredible. And I'm so excited to be having this conversation with her and Dr. Motley. So we have Dr. Caroline Leaf. If you are familiar with her work, you know, she has a deep passion uh, to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain, control chaotic thinking and find mental peace. Her most recent book, she's the author of how to help your child clean up their mental mess is phenomenal. We're going to talk a little bit about what that book uh, is about and the significance of uh, it existing right now. And so if you've got kids, this is a great, uh, this is going to be a great conversation, but even if you aren't a parent yet, I think it's really important to evaluate some of your behaviors and understanding kind of the, the complexity of your brain and your mind and how all of that relates to your behaviors and how that translates to children down the road for you. So Dr. Caroline Leaf, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just so excited to have you and and really for you to be able to communicate all the things that you've learned. Oh, thank you. It's such an honor to be with you and, and you, Dr. Chris. Chris it's, it's great to be back and I always enjoy talking to you. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, Doc, so much. I know with Courtney and I, when we jump into this, uh, Courtney has three of her own. Um, I don't have kids, so I know this is something like uh, with Courtney, how she could probably dive in and ask a lot of things about um, childhood and the mentality of children and how to help them. Um, I'm really, really interested because in the office, I see a lot of children in the clinic. So this has been this is something that I look forward to because there are so many questions that I have about when uh, a young person, how they respond or how they act or how their mind is programmed or, you know, how it's developed at a young age and how it develops into physical signs and symptoms. So for all the people out there uh, that have children, this is something for you. So I'm going to let Courtney start off because I know she's probably you know, has some questions and thoughts, and we're going to just go through these questions with you. And we're so thankful again, Doc, for joining with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, I I heard you talk recently. um, It it was probably another podcast, but I thought that this was really profound and I think it'll set the stage for um, really the, the book that we're going to talk about, but it's really the difference between the mind and the brain, um, and how they influence our behaviors. Uh, because I think that that was one thing that really shocked me at first. I thought your book was really just about kids, but I realized it's, it really starts with us as adults and, and being aware of the patterns of our thoughts and how all of that is connected when we, when we're talking about the brain. And I really never even thought there was a difference. I thought the mind and the brain were kind of interchangeable. So maybe you can, if you want to start there, just break that down for us. What does that look like? Because I think a lot of us just always want to attack things from the behavior side and we're never really placing significance on where all of that is stemming from. Like, where is that rooted from? So I'll, I'll let you take the floor and maybe unpack that for us. That's a great place to start. And it's a great question. And 
anyone can be forgiven for thinking that the mind and the mind and the brain are the same thing in our current climate because the last for the past 40 years since probably since about the mid 90s with the advent of brain technology like the fmri and mri and that kind of thing there's been such a neuroreductionistic approach to human behavior which means that it's become more and more about the brain and less and less about the mind because the brain was this thing that we could see and touch and you know find out more about and so it became you know neuroreductionistic but the concept of mind then got subsumed or kind of put aside and thought well we, we don't know what it is and we can't measure it which is incorrect because you actually can um, and but it was then the whole sort of philosophy of okay well then the mind, the brain is the thing that we should be focusing on and then languaging started changing in the scientific world and in the media world and essentially what happened was that mind and brain became interchangeable but they are so vastly different and for thousands of years we've actually ancient philosophers and people just talking about whatever in the ancient scripts have always referenced the mind and brain as being separate so the mind and body that connection and there's been lots of different philosophies and people may have heard of things like dualism and all these fancy things essentially the bottom line is that we have a mind brain and body three parts psycho neurobiology so my field of research is psycho neurobiology i'm a psycho neurobiologist and my my training is in communication pathology and clinical neuropsychology and neuroscience that kind of stuff so i've been trained to understand this mind brain body difference so when i started training in the 80s which is a long time ago we were told that the brain couldn't change but there was a deep understanding that the mind was separate from the brain but they believed that the brain couldn't change I did some of the first neuroplasticity work in the in my uh, research in my field back in the late 80s showing that your brain actually can change because your mind changes and your mind changes your brain so that thing was pretty new and was pretty new around the early 90s it was very accepted oh okay mind and brain are separate it was for years it was, it was only from the mid 90s that they started becoming subsumed but they were seen as two separate things that mind was how we experienced life our aliveness, our ability to think, feel, and choose, all that stuff, the ability to have this conversation. If you did, you couldn't do it. So your mind is your aliveness. It enables you to experience life, the psychological aspects, the mental aspects, the physical aspects. It's your mind that's helping you process that. But your mind needs the physical substrate of the brain in order to process that through, and it also needs the body. So the mind essentially becomes embodied moment by moment of every day. So, and then 24 seven. So the mind drives the physiology of the brain and the body. So it's the mind that allows your heart to pump and your lungs to work and your genes to be expressing and all those things. That's what your mind is actually doing. And um, on a, that's on a physiological level. On a psychological level, your mind is enabling you to understand this conversation, um, have a conversation with your family, appreciate um, the beautiful sunset or whatever it may be, life, love, it, et cetera. So your mind's doing all of that, but your mind needs the brain um, to, to connect with that physical substrate of the brain and the body in order to express. So it's a mind-brain-body link. So the mind therefore takes this conversation, you, your mind, so you are your mind, your aliveness, you think, feel, and choose around what you're hearing, on a, but, but what you, that's psychological. 
on the physiological level, there's sound waves and light waves and all kinds of things coming out of my mouth and your mouth and the visual stuff and all that stuff. And that is gravitational fields and quantum energy and all that kind of stuff. And it's specific to our conversation, we're generating these um, waves. And the mind also takes those and it puts those into the brain because the brain responds to those physiological things. And it responds chemically and electromagnetically and neurochemically and neuroplastically and, and genetically and makes little proteins that actually hold the information that we are experiencing. So this conversation as little vibrations inside little proteins. And the more we talk, the more proteins we make and the more that they grow together and make little trees. So inside the brain, this information, this experience and this information that's an experience with all this detail builds into thoughts inside the brain like tree-like structures so it's a physical change that's happening inside of our brain as we're listening but the mind's driving it then the mind brain together instruct the rest of the body and a duplicate of this memory this conversation this set of memories because it's not one memory it's a mm -hmm. thought made up of lots of memories so the thought is made up of lots of detail, the detail of the memory. So all the words I'm saying are memories, they're making a thought. And as mm. this is happening between the mind and the brain, the brain instructs mind and brain. The brain can't do anything without the mind. It's just a physical thing without the mind you're dead. So the mind-brain interaction instructs the body and a duplicate memory is made inside every single cell of our body. And we have somewhere between 37 and 37 and, um, and, and, and it's something like 37 to 100 trillion cells in us in our body there's just so many cells and every single one of those cells is storing a duplicate of this it's not exactly the same as in the brain but it's a body memory and it's inside a, a, like little proteins that are all wound up together making like little carpets so it's kind of holding the cell structure but it's always little like carpets that are inside the cell difficult to visualize that's what i always think tell people to think of little beads if you string a whole lot of beads together and they're close to each other and you string have lots of rows of those and they're all connected and you roll it up that's kind of what your memories look like inside your cells and if it's a healthy memory like this is a healthy conversation so we're going to grow a healthy tree and we're going to have nice healthy rolled up carpets but if this was a a, a, some kind of traumatic discussion of and maybe we we're having an argument or something then that would be that that thought tree would not be healthy looking it would look ugly and um, the the roots and everything would be not healthy, and the little carpets would be unrolling. And the gravity and in your mind, the energy going through the mind and the body, the the actual because the mind part is like all energy waves. The brain parts trees, the body parts these little carpets, the mind parts all these energy waves. Instead of it being a nice wave of the sea that we think of in the sea, it would be maybe more like a tsunami. Um, or you know a flat line something like that so just to give people an analogy so that's happening all day long from the moment we open our eyes till the moment we go to sleep we are building life's experiences into these three places via our mind at faster than 10 to the 27 which is faster than 400 billion actions per second and that is incredibly fast and it's wow. happening all day long and then at night your mind sweeps through all these networks these mind brain body networks all these trees and carpets and fields and whatever which are driving us those are our driving forces that drive who we are as a human because these networks build and that's how we function as a human we use these networks to function so at night time your brain sweep your mind sweeps your brain looking at the networks to see which ones are disruptive 
your functioning to prepare you for the next day. They clean up as much as the mind cleans up as much as it can while you're asleep, hence or dreaming. But when we wake up, the things that you have to consciously fix up, we will be prompted about those during the course of the day through things like intrusive thoughts. Hence, intrusive thoughts are our new best friend. So I've just thrown out so much stuff there. I don't know if you want to unpack any of that. No, this is great. <laughs> this is awesome. The do- like Some people would ask, though, too, that when we talk about the mind, because we're talking about the electromagnetic waves and all the things that can influence it and how we're looking at as a holistic being, does the mind, is it contained in the body or is the mind, like, does the mind have fields around the body or how would you explain that? Like, because pe- some people say, well, where's the mind? Because I've had people ask me that. They ask me that all the time. So the mind is embodied and it's around us. We don't quite know the size of the biofield, um, but research is showing that the because we all know that there are um, energy fields in the, uh, in the atmosphere. It's, it's very established science. It's not something new. But we know that humans have unique fields around them and through them. And when people die, those fields go. And so it's around and it's through. So the fact that your heart's beating, that is evidence of mind because the, mm. that energy that makes your heart beat. If you'd have a sonogram, like um, as I just told you, my daughter just had a, uh, her first baby. So they would have done sonograms. That would have picked that ability to pick up that movement and whatever that would be mind. If um, the uh, an EEG on, an EKG on your heart, or an EEG on your brain, all of that's picking up the mind activity that's going on, your blood flowing, your neuro chemicals flowing your endocrine system working all of that is driven by mind so that so you, therefore mind is embodied it's around and embodied if that makes sense yes very much so very much so that yeah this is so interesting i i want i would love for you to describe you know in your book you talk a lot about it really starting with the adults because if you think about kids you know and i have three young children and they're all so different but I, I oftentimes, you know, have thought like, why would one of them be thinking or processing something diff- so differently than another child? Where is this? Is this being modeled in the home? Are they learning these patterns? And so I think you do a really good job of really teaching us as adults how the way that we're managing emotional conflict or some of these um just just even thought patterns like the way these kind of these like subconscious thought patterns how we're handling those and how that's translating to our children because they're learning a lot by modeling so i'd love for you to maybe even bridge the gap there of really the self-awareness component of what is it that we're missing as adults we're we're going after i mean we're seeing kids with so many different um cognitive uh imbalances and we're seeing children getting diagnosed with conditions, personality disorders, like all kinds. I mean, it's just crazy. And then there's depression, anxiety and uh, in younger and younger children. So why is it one, I guess that we're seeing this and two, like what's going on with all the adults that we're maybe we're kind of kicking this downstream to our children. And we're just saying, well, that's a child problem that has nothing to do with us. Okay, you've asked a very loaded question and it's brilliant and it's excellent and it's very, very important. So what we do have is a crisis. We have a we 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 hear all the time that there's a crisis in mental health and it used to generally touch adults, now it's touching kids and has been for a couple of years globally. But that's not the real problem. That's a symptom. 
The mental health crisis that we see in children and adults currently is a symptom of a much larger problem. And that much larger problem is the disregard form of mind. So when you when you become a very physically orientated society where you reduce everything down to a mechanistic society where everything's reduced down to chemicals and blood flow and genes and those kinds of you know neurobiological functioning, you are going to hit a wall. And that's what's happened. It works for the actual impact of life on the brain and the body, because as I've mentioned, my life goes through via the mind through the brain and body. So toxic experiences in life or challenging experiences in life are damaging waves and damaging thought trees and damaging the carpets are unrolling. And so they, so there's a physical result inside the brain and the body, a physical impact that will change chemical functioning, um, structural functioning and so on. All of that does, but that's the result of, it's not the cause of. And so what we've become as a society with our neuroreductionistic approach is we've eliminated mind, which goes back to the first question and answers your second question is that what has happened is that we have gained knowledge that's put us forward in some steps, but it's taken us back hundreds of steps when it comes to human behavior. And the result is that we see a, an actual crisis in mind management with a symptom of mental health issues mm -hmm. because you mm -hmm. can't apply the same laws to um to to the mind as you can to the physical brain and body because even though they work as a unit they mm -hmm. are separate and require different types of rules to 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 in terms of functionality and so on it's like every system of the body has its own set of rules and biochemistry and all the biochemistry is interrelated the mind has so therefore if we as as, as a society um as humans our experiences wire into us and drive us, but there's, that's overlaying who you uniquely are. So part of your mind is the unique way that each human on this planet thinks, feels, and chooses. So your three kids each have their own uniqueness, as we all understand, but it's a physiological fact. It's a psychoneurobiological fact um, that we are literally vibrate, our proteins vibrate differently for each person and so on. So therefore, how... Uh, how you, each of your three kids responds to you, for example, is going to be processed differently because of their differences. So that's the first thing. That's why they respond differently, because they are hearing and experiencing it differently. Same experience, same conversation from you, or same nurturing, etc., but experienced differently. So that's very important. So and whatever they're experiencing is going into them, and it's driving them. But it's drive, going in differently, and it's driving them differently, so they're going to respond differently. And they all have unique, different experiences. And you put that all together, and they're going to be totally different. And it's very overwhelming. I've got four adult children. And you can think, but they were all brought up the same way. How does one respond like this and one? It's it, but that's because of our uniqueness. So we shouldn't be surprised. It's very. It's not so much about, you know, what did I do wrong with that child? And though we all, by the way, all parents are messy. Parenting is messy. We all mess up our kids. We got to accept that. We all mess up our kids, and we were messed up. The difference is that if we got to own our mess, and then we can rectify that and help deal with the impact. And if we're going to parent with that attitude, we're going to be a better parent because we're going to be able to say sorry. We're going to be able to allow a space for our children to say, hey, mom, when you shout like that, it makes me feel like this. That shouting was messy. You can say, I'm so sorry I shouted like that because, and I see it upset you. And so there's a reason I did it. It doesn't make it right, but there's a reason I'm going to find a better way and I, I recognize it impacted you. 
you know, that's the sort of thing we're talking about here. So that's on the one part of your question, sort of briefly answered. The other side of your question is what about us as parents? When I get asked about the mental health crisis and they ask me, what would you do? What would be the, if I could only say one thing that I could do? It found, it found this interesting that I have asked this question, been asked this, this question a couple of times. If there was only one thing that I could do to solve the mental health crisis in children today, what would I do? My answer is always, I would work with the parents. I would work with the parents because the stress of the parent, the anxiety of the parent, the unmanaged mind of the parent is going to filter through to the child. Mm -hmm. And you see this with teachers too. So I've trained teachers in the same way. So I've worked with the adults in the children's lives. I've worked with the parents. I've worked with the grandparents. I've worked with the teachers. And I would equip the adults in, in the lives of children to understand their own minds and recognize that if they're feeling depression, it's not a mental illness like diabetes, that you don't have a chemical imbalance, that that's not accurate science. It's it's a story that's been spun, that's been disproven over and over, but it's a really great way of explaining things, but it's not the truth and it's created tremendous damage. So depression is not a mental illness. Depression is massive, but it's a massive mind issue. And it's an informational um, signal that is telling you that something's going on in your life. So as the adult in the child's life, you, when you feel depression, depression is not a, something to run away from. Anxiety is not something to run away from. No emotion is bad. Every emotion is con contains information. Yet in the society, we told depression is bad. It's a symptom of, it's a disease. It's a diagnosis. It's a, implying that there's a neurobiological underlying cause, not science, not accurate. It's not, it's not that there's some insulin missing and you've got to pop the insulin back. That's not what's happening here. When you feel depression, it's going to affect your behaviors. It's going to, the emotion of depression will affect how you do say and do things. It's going to affect how you look at life. It's going to affect how you um, you feel in your body. It's going to affect your, so it's four things, emotions, bodily sensations, behaviors, and perspective. That's how we show up. Every single moment of every day, we show up in those four categories and they're all linked. So depression is one of those four categories. So what mm -hmm. we need to teach our children as adults is, okay, I showed up today yelling at you, um, being very with you know mean, um, withdrawn um, you know, behaviors, um, maybe said some snarky things, maybe kicked your toys, um, maybe my, and you know had a scary looking face, bodily sensations, and seemed to be just in a bad mood all day long. Okay, maybe I'm being extreme there, but listen, I'm a parent. I know what happens. We can have days like that, and it's okay. What's mm -hmm. not okay is to deny it, to pretend it's not there. It's for us to say, okay, this is how I showed up. And this is why I showed up like this. And this is what I'm going to do about it. And this is what I'm going to do in future. And this is where it comes from. In other words, you just provided as an adult the mental skills to the child to say, hey, it's okay to be a mess. Even adults are a mess. This life is messy. It's going to happen. No matter who you are, what you are, you're going to be exposed to stuff. And this is what we do. We've got to face it we've got to talk about it we've got to process it we've got to get through it so by you as the adult demonstrating and that's what this literally what this book is all about is <clears throat> you as the adult understanding how to understand your own mental health explain that to yourself demonstrate that to your child and then teach your child those mental skills to be able to process life that's what's been missing for the past 40 years in the way we've 
play a big way, the way we've been doing human behavior. I'm not saying every single person. There's a lot of fantastic parents and therapists out there. Parents in general are fantastic about doing these kinds of skills. But we have such a strong message out there that the minute your child shows any kind of behavioral issue, it's immediately looked at the external symptom instead of saying, oh, okay, so these my child's not concentrating. My child's pinching kids at school. My child's bullying. Uh, my child is complaining of sore stomachs all the time my child's not sleeping all the what's wrong with my child there's a mental illness i've got to go see a psychiatrist get a diagnosis bipolar depression and adhd boom medication you know it's that's not the solution which has been what we've been not me not i i don't do that but that's generally what's been done and that has created a massive problem because all you're telling the child is oh all we're looking at is your external we see you as a problem. You are a problem. You have a broken everything, brain, body, whatever. You're a broken person. And we have to fix you by adding stuff to you. And we have to give you labels. You've got to go see all these scary people. And they are what, what but, but the truth is that that child's going through experiences. We don't know what, if that child's bullying, I can guarantee that child's being bullied. If that child is um, bedwetting, there's something going on with a friend, a family member. There's something going on that's causing that. So we've got to not look at that child's intentionally trying to be difficult or that they've got a brain disease making them difficult, which is a horrific way of looking at a child, pathologizing childhood, medicalizing misery. What we need to do is look at the story and give the child the skills and the mental skills to be able to understand what they're exposed to by having the skills to be able to tell their story. And we do that by us as adults demonstrating that process. So everything I teach in this book is what I've taught adults in my previous books. I think I've got the other one over here, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess and my my app, the NeuroCycle app, and what I've, and all my other books, the how to manage your mind and deal with your stuff, whether it is a day-to-day -day struggle you have or whether it's some major um, bad, uh, you know, not major, whether it's some habit that we formed that's just from too much social media or we just got into these bad habits or whether it's an actual trauma that you haven't processed and dealt with. So whether that's one of those three categories, we still need to manage our mind. And we, in managing our mind, we appeal to the authenticity of the child. Children are so authentic. They respond mm -hmm. and honor authenticity. They are also incredibly insightful, way more than we give them credit for. And thirdly, if you don't tell a child why you are doing what you're doing, saying what you're saying, experiencing what you're experiencing, they automatically think there's something wrong with them, that they've done something bad. So they've thought that shatters their, can shatter their identity over time. So we've got to change how we look at ourselves and at mental health in general and, and look at mental health as being mental skills and do we have them and don't we have them and not talk about illnesses and talk about the fact that we have extreme states and extreme behavior patterns and emotional patterns and perspective patterns and so on that have come from something. So in summary, the way our, we show up, the way our children show up are coming from what's driving us, those psychoneurobiological networks. So as adults, if we can look at how we show up, track the, the psychoneurobiological network, deconstruct and reconstruct them, which is a mental skill, and demonstrate that to ourselves and to our kids, and then teach our kids to do that. We're then managing our mental health. Then we're changing society, literally. That's a mouthful. Wow. So <laughs> I have long Doc, it's No, this is amazing. So we're talking that, like, you're saying that, like, our personal uh, experiences in life, our memories 
basically follow us through our adulthood and through our life. And we are expressing that to our children and the children pick up on that programming. They start to emulate or they experience it differently. And so they can start to have their own mental messages, I guess, if you could say it, call it that. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about if you shift yourself, that's like the first avenue in our culture today, like through your book, that's how we're going to fix like this mental health crisis. And um, that is that is a beautiful way to put it. When we start to activate ourselves and we start to notice ourselves, I think it's a really great way that in the book, it's free for parents to look at their own uh, way of not denying something. Um, okay. What are some of the things that like, as you start to develop that within yourself as an adult and through your book, you talk to your kids, what are some of like the warning signals that you would tell your children? Like, okay, I know that this mental mess followed me. What are the warning signals I would suggest to my child and say, Hey, you need to watch out for this because daddy or mommy found this out the hard way. I don't want you to find out the hard way. So what are some of those signals? Hey, Dr. Axe here. Have you ever taken an ice bath? Cold plunging has become my secret weapon to get better sleep, reduce inflammation, and boost recovery. I personally have a cold shirt tub and it's been a game changer. I just walk up to my tub and get in, no prep, no ice, no hassle. Thanks to the chiller, the water is always the perfect temperature whenever I need it. Plus my cold shirt tub has a filtration system, which means my water stays clean and full constantly, saving me tons of water and money. And on top of it, I earn cold coins for every purchase, which redeems savings off other products and accessories. So whether you've tried cold immersion or you're just dipping your toes in the water, culture is worth checking out. Head over to culture.com and use the promo code AXE to save $200. That's culture, C-O-L-D-T-U-R-E.com slash ancient health or promo code AXE for $200 off. Absolutely. So these, these, these different types of signals, so these four main categories of signals, and then they they show up differently with with whatever you're going through. So in the first part of the book, I explain the four signals, which are the emotions. I mentioned them already. So that's whether it's depression, anxiety, joy, panic, whatever, what, the good, what we would label good and bad emotions. Let's not mm-hmm. label good and bad. Let's just talk about emotions. So we may want to put them on two sort of scale. If I do this with my hands, these would be the traditional so-called maybe unhealthy emotions, and these would be the healthy emotions. What I'm saying is that the, I don't even know what to say, positive, negative, I don't want anything negative around them because you actually need anxiety, you need depression, you need um, all of worry, envy, jealousy, you need them, why? Because they keep you on your toes, they give you information, Mm -hmm. you're feeling envy, and your child's feeling envy, well, don't run from it, face it, because that's information, it's great information, self-reflection, self-regulation, why am I feeling envy, there's a reason, so it's okay to be a mess, but you know, let me deal with this, otherwise the envy will eat you up and you'll collapse, so we want to always teach our kids on the in the terms of the first um, signal, that it's information that's telling us stuff, now in our current world, emotions, we talk about emotional intelligence, which is like so big in the corporate world and all over the place, emotional intelligence is is one aspect of one of the four signals. And it's emotional intelligence is recognizing that whether it's in that scale or that scale, this is all information to help us. So instead of saying, oh, my child has depression, they have a disease, we say, oh, my child or I am experiencing depression. What does this mean? You know, it's a different look. It's an embrace to process and reconceptualize. Now that emotional 
warning signal is one of the buckets. The other bucket of, of signals is behaviors because emotions are always linked to behaviors. Unfortunately, we live in a world that talks about emotions on its own. There's so many books that you can just go to Target and go and have a look at Barnes and Nobles and programs that say, let's talk about our feelings. Even with adults, let's talk about our feelings. Let's have a feeling circle. Well, if you just talk about your feelings and you don't do anything else, you are letting a demon out of a cage. And now what? You know, you can't just let, and the research shows that if you just release a feeling and you don't attach it to the other signals and then you don't process it, you know, which is deconstructing and reconstructing, that'll actually make you worse. It's going to create oh. worse feelings. So we want to always find the emotion that's linked to the behavior. So when you have this emotion, what are the behaviors? What are you saying? What are you doing? Now, behaviors are another signal. It's telling you information. They're not you trying to intentionally be bad or your child intentionally being naughty. An experience goes into the different parts of the brain. It generates energy of a child's being bullied. Those the carpets are unrolling, the tree is shooting off all kinds of energy. I'm talking about the different parts of how the, that I spoke about in the beginning, the minds, there's a tsunami wave, everyone's still with me here, that's generating energy. That child comes home, they don't have the words if they're five or six or seven or even maybe 10 to be able to fully express what they've gone through. So that mm. energy is going to go somewhere. It's going to come out in them throwing something, maybe bullying a sibling, you know, whatever. It's going to come out somewhere. It's not an intentional deliberate oh i'm going to be naughty it's i don't know what to do i've got to send out a message i've got i need help so if we can shift our perspective and see the behaviors and the emotions are information then we also need to see you know what's going on in the body where are they as we know the body keeps the score that really famous book i've done a lot of work in my research as well showing in the psychoneurobiology we just had a paper that's been released again another one this week on the psychoneurobiological correlates of habit formation in other words how Everything that goes in our mind and our brain is also in our body, in those little carpets. So when we talk about mm -hmm. the body keeping the score, it's those little beaded carpets that are rolled up or unrolled. And that's stored in your body. Wherever there's an unrolled carpet, there's, there's pain. So when you, know, when you are grabbing your stomach or your child yes. rubbing their head or rubbing their eyes consistently, um, you know, or there's this incredible heart fluttering or there's this tension, they unroll carpets there that are containing mm -hmm. memories of that experience. We want to look at, at the memory and we want to teach our kids to have this kind of awareness of linking these things. And then that generates a perspective, how they're looking at life. I hate school. I hate my friends. I hate mommy. I hate daddy. You know, they don't actually hate that, but that's in the moment is how they are seeing life. So instead of, mm -hmm. oh, you don't like I hate mommy. We don't, you know, which is what we maybe instinctively do because we think, oh, that's bad. I've got to stop that behavior. We're going to say, well, let's talk about why you're feeling that. This is, and, you, and by using the, the systems that I, that I describe in my book called the neurocycle, you can, you're not going to allow a child to throw toys and hit people. And you're not going to, you, you're going, they, they, they need to know these consequences of things that are hurting other people, your words and actions. But you're going to say, okay, we're not going to do that, but we're going to deal with why you're doing that. You can't do this because you can't, you know, you're hurting someone else is not acceptable. You, you know, all that normal stuff you do, but you're not going to leave it there. You need to go and say, okay, that way you behaved, that, you know, those emotions and those 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 um, bodily sensations and those, um, those, those uh, sorry, the perspectives and the um, behaviors. So it's signal, the four signals are your, your emotions, your behaviors, your bodily sensations, and your perspective. Those four things, we need to unpack those. 
Um, so now you're going to have specific ones. So in the last part of the book, I've got chapters on trauma. What is trauma? What are the signals of trauma? Um, identity crises, social crises like bullying. Um, there's various like labeling things like if your child's been labeled with anything, bipolar, ADHD, whatever. So in other words, I take you through the sorts of signals that are typical of that. So the main four, like for example, if you've got a child who's been sexually abused, the four signals are quite specific. You're going to see a cluster of, and there's a lot of crossover, but you're going to see them in various different extremes. So then you would you would look for you know those type of signals as a parent to guide you to what to, what to look for. So that's why I put them together. And we've got a whole in our app. We've actually got a parent-child cycle. A parent. This is for adolescents and adults, but we've just added in this week actually. Um, in our web version, we've added a parent guide as well. So to help you walk children at, between ages three through 10 through different aspects. But we're building in a whole webinar feature where we'll also be able to help people to have very specific guidelines for signals. But there's a lot in this book already. There's a lot of like, if you want to know if a child's in trauma, you there's certain things that they're going to do. There's certain things like nightmares are very, very typical if there's any mm -hmm. kind of trauma. Um, and not sleeping or waking up in you know night sweats and so that kind of those are the sorts of behave, behavioral signals and when they wake a lot of crying a lot of withdrawing um, a lot of behaviors that are and that are socially unacceptable you know those are the sorts of um, signals that that are specific to trauma and then there's others that are identity issues and so on does that make sense it's all kind of laid out in in the book yeah wow okay. this is so I good doc it, it really is. You know, I, and what I'm taking from this too is there is so much accountability and responsibility that I feel like is required, which makes me think about this as ongoing work. Because I know as an adult, if I am not getting up every day and I'm not intentional about moving my body physically and doing kind of a spiritual triathlon and and like applying myself every day. I mean, I could see very easily how our bent nature to be selfish, to not take responsibility, to not feel like we need to be held accountable, because that's really what a lot of this is. It's like, okay, I need to identify that maybe I responded in this way and now communicate that to my child. Hey, you know, it was this, it was this event or this circumstance that really made me feel this way, that made me act out in such a way. But is this a lifetime work for people? I mean, is this because I, I I am curious about, you know, hey, you read the book, you start applying it, but I've I know how we are, you know, general humanity. If you if you're not proactive about it, your nature is going to be to default to old patterns or uh, you know, a, kind of a selfish mindset. Absolutely. So totally, this is a lifestyle. So it's a lifestyle of mind management. And that's why I loved your first question to distinguish between mind and brain, because without your mind, you're dead. So think of it like that. If your mind is your driving force, if you don't manage your mind and, and make that a lifetime, pretty much all day long management system as part of your lifestyle, then everything else is going to be a mess. So messy mind, messy brain, messy body, messy life. So you can have all the great workout routines, diet routines, exercise routines, healthy eating routines, um, all kinds of routines, even spiritual routines. But if you, and spirituality obviously falls under, you know, mind drives everything. You, you're going to lose out if you don't 
manage your mind because we can do stuff. We can become addicted to doing that routine, doing that meditation workout, but it's still, it's almost like it's external to who we are. Your mind is who you are. That has to be managed first, that honesty, that authenticity, that that me, myself and I, that's really the core of it. That's um, fundamental to our, to our functioning. And then that drives everything else. So that is a lifestyle. So basically the neurocycle neurocycle which is the system that helps you to manage your mind it's not a new therapy technique you'd still do everything you do all the meditation the diet the dietary requirements the exercise the whatever 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 techniques you visualization in these beautiful techniques out there these great therapy techniques but you if you don't put them into the um into the order that your network creates driving forces you're pretty much putting band-aids on the wound you know you're doing a bunch mm. of good stuff but you're putting a band-aid on the wound. And everyone knows you must breathe, you must meditate, you must do exercise, you must eat healthy. We all know that. But you can do that and still die and still be so depressed that you land up uh, you know, suicidal. And um, and even that there's no guilt in that. I mean, suicide is is a is, is a very valid option for people in terms of they they at that brokenness. But we can we don't have to live in that space. We if we understand that I will have days of sadness and it's okay to be sad and it's but we've got to teach ourselves to live with ourselves to live with the pain because whatever you've experienced whatever you've gone through is never going away it's in your networks forever. But you can change what they look like. And that's unbelievable. That is, I mean, it's believable. It's so unbelievable that it's unbelievable. We can teach our children. That's what the neurocycle is. It's basically how can we have the guts, the courage, the bravery to stand back, look at ourselves, self-regulate to the point where I can say, I'm showing up like this. What is the core? What is that tree? What is the root of that tree? How can I mm. heal that root? And with kids, we trees plant food you know this the, the book is filled with cartoons and analogies and we created a character called brainy i don't know if you saw in the <laughs> all these little characters and brainy walks the mental health journey with you and there's all these trees i mean there's there's an image of brain is we've even got a toy a little brainy toy that people can get on our website <laughs> that is oh like, i love it Young kids, so like a young I want one, Doc. I'm going to get one of those. Where do you get that? I got to get one of those. Seriously. And this little brainy is basically brainy. You change your brain. Your brain doesn't control you. There's a lot of like subtle stuff going on here. So you can give this to a three-year-old or whatever. I don't know what age your kids are. How old are your kids? I've got, well, there's a little bit of a gap. There's uh, almost 12, nine, and then the baby just turned one. So okay, you got a big gap. Yes. Okay. So now your baby's almost, I mean, your baby's two or three. Um, let's say you've got a two or three, even five, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds love this, even adults, as you said. Um, let's say, for example, you teaching a child these mental skills that we've been talking about now. So let's say you pick up your child and they're kicking the car seat and they just they're not themselves they just they haven't they have been themselves all week so you can pick up brainy and you can say okay i see brainy's kicking the seat and brainy's rubbing his tummy and brainy's really mad why is brainy mad so you transfer the th the thinking to the child and then the child then collaborates with you and you have this conversation and you then work through identifying all those signals and working through the neurocycle, which is a five-step process, not using the big words, using demonstration. So in the book, I teach you how to do with all toys and demonstration and, and pictures and images and visualizations. But the point being is that 
we are learning to self-regulate and we're teaching our kids to self-regulate and it's mm -hmm. a life skill so this uh, i always recommend to parents and adults whether you have kids or not is allocate like you go to the you do yoga on a yoga mat you you do your special workout in a gym you do your things have space you you allocate time your mind needs time allocated that we practice self-regulation all the time and those in the moment situations like let's say something irritates you um, you don't want that irritation to persist. You want to own the irritation, but then you want to manage it. So you can do a neurocycle in 30 seconds just to get mm. that irritation under control. But let's say that you have a habit that you've developed. That's a bad habit. That's not going to go away in 30 seconds. That's going to require at least 63 days. It takes 63 days to rewire a network and change a habit, not 21. And if it's a big trauma, one 63-day cycle is not going to be enough. You're going to have to do the neurocycle daily for maybe multiple cycles of 63. So when I've had patients with sexual mm -hmm. trauma, for example, it's multiple cycles of 63. But that timing is so important. It's what we've left out of most things is that people do all these things, but they don't do them in the right order that you build the networks properly and you don't do them for the right time. So the bits and pieces all help for a time, but they don't create the change. And that's where the lifestyle is important. If you teach a kid, kid from young how to manage what's gone on in their day at school and how to manage that sibling rivalry when the biggest stuff hits, which it will, they've got skills in place that will help them to move forward and as they move into adolescence and adulthood. And yes. if you as a parent are paralleling that, you know, create a space in your home. Um, get a, get your kids and everyone involved. And even if you don't have kids, find a beautiful space in your home. Maybe it's under a particular window that's got a great view and whatever. And you put a cute chair there and you maybe put some flowers there and you have a box of brainy in the book. And so it's dedicated to that. And when you have a bad day, you don't just ignore how you feeling you walk in and you go sit there and you train yourselves as a family to that's where I go work out. That's my safe space. That's where I go, like I'm going to do a, me a mental workout. So that's where you do the hard stuff. The other the other workout that you're doing all day long is the quick neurocycles. But when I've got a hard one to do, I go sit in that space and I go and do that workout. Like I go and do a workout at the gym. Mm. That's the principle operating. Um, I like that you talk about how you uh, show your children about how you can analyze what you're feeling and they start to train because have you ever seen that? Um, I think it went viral, but I remember a long time ago, it showed this young boy and he had, a, I think it was a little brother that was starting to freak out and he gets in front of his little brother and he literally points at him and goes, no, you just need to calm down. And this kid's like four years old. He's just breathe through it with me. And he's breathing and his little brother's like two years old and his brother's just well. And all of a sudden he just starts breathing. And I was like, that young man must have learned that from his parents, how to approach a situation. Yeah. And I was very impressed. I was like, I'd have loved to see who his parents were. And I think when the aspect of how we start to treat anxiety and mental um, health within young ones starts with like how we train their chemistry in the sense, like, you know, as a parent. And I think it's the beautiful thing about your book. And doc, like with the book, as you start to do the neurocycles, you have an app and in the book, like you start to go through the steps. Mm -hmm. And so with all that, with the book entailed, can you go over like with the neurocycle and also to like, do you give them any other tips of just saying like, it's a good thing to maybe look into eating this way, or this is a good habit for you and your child to do something together. Is that what the book entails, like extra little tidbits? Oh, yeah, there's lots. There's lots of tips. So the first part, I break down how you would actually explain to a child what a thought is and mm. 
these analogy of trees and what self-regulation is. You can teach kids as young as two and three. So I had patients in my practice as young as two and three. So I've been teaching this to kids for years. I've been in the field for nearly 40 years now. My kids grew up with this. So these, everything in this book are have come from clinical practice and clinical research. So there's tons of tips. Every chapter has got how you would say to, how you would understand it as an adult and then how you can say to the children of different ages. So there's developmental tables and that kind of thing in there as well. And then there's lots and lots of extra tips of try this, try this, do this, do that, um, get boxes of pictures, collect. You know, there's so many different ways you can do it. So it's very, very um, practical, very hands-on, mm-hmm. um, which makes it very, very easy. But it's not something you're going to read once and then that's it. This is a book that you commit to. Um, because it's a lifestyle of learning and teaching your children and it's something you fall back on and it's that's why I say get an area get a little toy box and just put the book in the toy box and the brainy and there's even a coloring book that we have um, that we've also, also created color with brainy and friends that has all these scenarios in it of, um, like someone having a high five and then there's maybe someone it's okay to cry when you're upset and so there's all these scenarios that you and we're going to bring out a more series. We've got storybooks coming out as well of Brainy and the whole universe of Brainy and his friends, Lobi. And we've taken all these really, we've got these amazing stories that we, that we've, a whole series. And those are coming out as well. So it becomes a kit of um, being able to equip yourself and your child with these things. So yeah, it's very practical. It's very, it's, you've got to learn it. We're finding a lot of adults learning this, using the, this combination of this, these two plus the, plus the app. And working in a child work because so many of us have got childhood trauma from, you know, two and three and four years of age and have never quite known how to process it. Um, so this is a great way of helping yourself to go back to the inner child and going through that experience. That is such an amazing exercise to do as a parent and then to apply that with your child because there's always something in your childhood that needs a little bit of inner child work. So that's another way you can do it as well. Wow, it's amazing, Doc. Wow. I love Thank this, you. Brainy. That's like, I'm going to be that for Halloween. I'm being brainy for Halloween. There you go. I'm not saying I'm brainy though. I'm just saying it'd be a great character to be. No, I think you embody that well. You could definitely be brainy. You are brainy. Oh, stop. You'd have to send us a picture so we can post it of you dressed up. (laughs) That's actually great. That's for my Halloween costume too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I was thinking? That this would be so cool, but... I truly feel like this work needs to become a curriculum that is used that teachers are taught to use in schools because I just keep thinking like, you know, you do a lot of work as parents, but then when your kids, if if you're not homeschooling your kids and if they're going, you know, they're spending a significant portion of their day outside of the house. That's so true. having even teachers, I mean, you think like they're wrangling lots of kids at the same time. Like how cool would that be for them to be able to work with the children in a capacity where they're, they're socializing together and they're, they're learning how to, you know, build and form relationships with one another, but learning those processes in school together. I just was thinking like, man, there's, there's an opportunity. Schools and, yeah. Schools and churches and such. Yeah. Totally. I did 25 years of in schools and another five years here in the States in, in schools doing these, doing these, these, these techniques, getting the, putting the whole concept in. And also there's a whole learning aspect as well to the neurocycle because it's building, it's, it's networks. So you build knowledge in yeah. using the neurocycle one way and then you detox that you manage mental health by 
reverse engineering it. So I did it in schools and the results were phenomenal. We've done studies on it. I've trained teachers. We did a recent study in New York across 350 boroughs in New York, reaching thousands of teachers. And we worked with the teachers directly online, yeah. them and helping them to help themselves then to help the kids. And the results were phenomenal. So we're starting another big project. So yes, that is our goal. Our goal is to get this as accepted nationwide as a um as a as a as a as part of the curriculum so that's what we work yeah. oh wow. I, do. I, mean, I love that, that yeah that would create incredible change i feel like i can't even the magnitude of the impact that that could have is just like it's truly unbelievable so Wow. Well, I'm so I'm just so grateful for your work and your ability to communicate what you've learned and to really help parents and caregivers. I mean, and really just individuals. I mean, that's where it begins with all of us, whether whatever stage of life you find yourself in, this work applies to you. Um, so I just I, I love what you're I, doing here. Thanks. I think it's great because it shows you that when you're gonna help kids, that you it is helping yourself. Yeah. Like when people are seeing that, it's like it's really helping yourself because you're going to help your children. So that's uh, it's a it, you you're doing two jobs with a you know with one aspect of how to help yourself. You're going to help your kid and help yourself. So doc, that's really really good. And um, I think that I need to get this to all my patients because um, whenever they ask me how to help their kids, I'm going to be like, I'm not the guy. You need to read the book. So um, how can people find the book? How can people find you on you know social media? I mean, I know who you are. You're super popular. I, I'm a fan over you. So it's like, you know, but how can people out there find you? Thank you so much. Dr. Caroline Leaf is my uh, my social media handle, so they can find me there. And from my, web page, my, from my Instagram page, you can go everywhere. Books available wherever books are sold. But we do have a, web, a store, drleaf.com, and that's where you can get Brainy and the coloring book and all my other books and the you can also get the app the, the apps available on itunes and google play as well as a web version and um, there's all kinds of bundles as well on our website so there's all kinds of discounts and bundles if you get all the things together and then i have a web i mean i have a podcast called cleaning up the mental mess as well with people oh wow so there's a lot yes <laughs> so wildly that. successful podcast i love your podcast i've learned a lot from that platform so thank you for putting that content out definitely check her out um, on all these different platforms guys and her book is amazing i've got to get the little brainy doll though i, I like i don't <laughs> have that one yet so i'm for uh, sure i love I it i mean my two shih tzus they fight over i actually gave them each their own because they keep stealing off my desk so they each have their own it's their favorite toy they literally sleep with it so Oh, super sweet. Super sweet. Yes, yes. This is such a great interview, Doc. And for everybody out there, please follow her work and just the way she explains everything, the education. And the first book, Doc, I'll say that, you know, when I read your first book, and this was like 10 years ago, 12, I mean, when I first got it, and um, I remember seeing like the the diagrams you put about neurotransmitters. And I remember the the part where it talks about your neurotransmitter breakdown and it's reuptake and how people get depression, anxiety. And for somebody that wants to read something and has to learn from like an auditory or a visual or, you know, like if you have a tactile aspect, I learn a lot by pictures. Yeah. And so when I saw that, I was like, she got it out down for everybody. I was like, she knows what she's doing. Like she taught everybody in this, the three different steps. And I was like, oh, okay. But thank you for clarifying it to me. So very much appreciate that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was a great interview. You asked lovely questions. So I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. 
So wonderful. Well, we want to respect your time, guys. We're going to link everything in the show notes for you. So if you want to get a hold of her most recent book, How to Help Your Child uh, Clean Up Their Mental Mess, or her other book, How to Clean Up Your Mental Mess, we'll make sure that all of that is linked for you so you can access those resources. Dr. Caroline, thank you for being a friend to our team and the Health Institute for taking some time to share with us today. And we just look forward to seeing all the incredible things you put your hand to in the future. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the work you've done. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.